The Last Ones at the Bar exclusively talks about the sport of boxing. Welcome back to Last Ones at the Bar. My name is Daniel Lee. I'm here with my guy, with my co-host, Lavelle Jackson. Our quarterback, Will, he's out today. I'm going to try to do my best. I can't think of a good backup quarterback right now, but I'm going to try to be a good backup. You know what I mean? But, Vel, uh, how you feeling today, bro? How was your week? How was your weekend? Uh, it's, it's getting better. You know, I was a little under the weather this week. I'm improving, so um, I'm, I'm back at it again. Uh, my week was, you know, pretty much uh, fine. Speaking of, of, of football, you know, Will is, is probably catching that that uh, Cowboys Commanders game. But also, I, I had a chance to, while flipping channels, sick on Monday to to catch the the situation with the Buffalo Bulls and the Cincinnati Bengals when uh, Demar Hamlin, you know, he had a, a a health scare where pretty much had a cardiac arrest on the field, and you know, it was very unfortunate, but. Uh, he he seemed to be, you know, the, all the players, they went and got around him, prayed. You saw the, the response of, like, uh, the coaches, the players, the leagues. Uh, they, they were praying for him. So he's making a recovery, which is a very positive thing. And, and you know, as boxing fans, you kind of see these type of dangers happen, you know, even in the ring. And it's like, man, we even though this is, you know, football is a brutal sport, boxing is a brutal sport, at the end of the day, we advocate for health also because it's not important for a competitor to be able to go back to their family. Yeah, definitely. You know, like it, I think it's easy, you know, in these sports that we're we're kind of desensitized to it as fans. You know, we don't know what they go through because, you know, whereas we using our minds to feed our families and we're on keyboards. A lot of us, you know, they using their bodies, you know what I mean? And, he, you know, we can reduce them to sort of like gladiators basically just for our entertainment but i'm glad that he's better you know first of all i'm glad that he got so much support the only thing i'll say is that i hope that you know obviously we don't know what's going to happen for his future health-wise we don't know what well, we do know he's back awake he's back talking we don't know if he's gonna play football again it's just too early and if he's gonna be the same and if he's gonna be taken care of, I just hope that he's gonna be like good financially and that he's able to, even if football isn't a thing, I hope he's able to, you know what I mean? Either not, if he's not taken care of by the league, I hope he's able to, you know, be able to get back on his feet in that capacity. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I'm glad you're feeling better also. You sound good. In terms of my week, uh, I was just getting back in the swing of things. I got back from Atlanta on Monday night. My sleep schedule was off this week. Um, had to go back into the office, things of that nature. But I think I'm pretty much back in the swing of things. And, you know, the podcast, we back in the swing of things because this is our first episode of the new year. So happy mm -hmm. new year to everybody as well. Uh, you got anything else before we get off in these topics? Uh, no, just this happy new year also to, to all the people out there. For sure. Definitely appreciate you guys' support. You know, uh, for those of you, especially the ones that's been rocking with us uh, even before Underdog, you know, this is like our 122nd episode, if I recall correctly. So, uh, but even if you haven't, you know, happy new year to you either way. But because it was kind of a one card boxing night and there's not a whole lot of news, it's going to be. This might be a quick one, but, you know, we're going to start with 
the the biggest one that was Javante Tank Davis coming back to fight Hector Luis Garcia in Washington D.C. last night. Uh, what were your thoughts on that one, Vel? Yeah, man, I'm thinking, man, maybe I should have went to the fight. You know, it's, it's fights in you know going on in the ring, fights going on outside the ring. Man, Meek <laughs> Mill, of all the people to get into it with, you choose the Russell brothers. Yeah, all four yeah. of them can fold you. Anyway. Oh yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> see, yeah, a lot of people might be looking at Meek Mills like, oh yeah, that's Meek Mills. Uh, you know, the gangster rapper thug. I mean, you don't know about the Russell boys, man. It, have you seen on top of that? Have you seen him on 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 pads, Meek Mill? Yes, I have seen him on pads. <laughs> yeah, because that's that's. I remember when when I was thinking like Drake would fold this guy. <laughs> but it was funny because I seen Drake deadlift before too. So uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, since we already got into that subject, the the Meek Mill Gary Russell extravaganza. It, it was interesting because. I'm trying to put the pieces together because I'm not sure exactly what was going on or why it happened. But I do know that, you know, Gary Russell was, you know, on live and, you know, he's watching the fight, you know, he's in his hometown and his element and he's just, you know, commenting on the, the things that was going on in the fight between uh, Javante Davis and Hector Garcia. And you know that Russell don't really have, you know, dogs in that fight. So he's going to just tell it how he see it. And I, and I think maybe someone got a hold of Meek Mill and said something, and you know how people are. If you don't rock with this guy, I'm against you. And I don't know exactly what happened, but it, it, still, it, it make us look just just foolish, you know, especially for Meek Mill. They be getting into it with professional fighters, and I don't know who that guy is. And they just talking about my guy, and it's just silly. But let's let's talk about this fight. Mm-hmm. So so Javante Davis. You know, coming in this fight, man, undefeated 27 and 0, 25 knockouts. Uh, it's Hector Luis Garcia, undefeated 16 and 0, 10 knockouts. This fight, it was, it was interesting because it was very kind of uh, a tactical fight, you know, um, very pay tank fought very patient and composed fight. He, he kind of measured, was measuring Garcia a lot. Uh, and it, it was a, some, a lot of sharp exchanges you know over this fight i mean i mean it was it was kind of looking like the, the 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 intensity of this fight was really into okay when is davis gonna land that shot and the rounds is going on and on and on and it really wasn't you saw these sharp exchanges and you saw garcia taking them but you but then you saw his expressions kind of change even though he was kind of in the fight it still was a close fight even going down the stretch entering the eighth round but you could see when when Tank start firing off the same combinations, even on even turns, that Garcia was being affected more. So of course the the whole fight outside the ring happened, and the the the, the uh, actual fight in the ring between Davis and Garcia was called to a halt for a little bit of time. I think it was like a, a minute or so while they got security out there and got things back to what it should be. So when the fight was restarted, it's almost like. Davis kind of, you know, he was re-energized and, and, and kind of caught Garcia with, with a combination where Garcia w- was was noticeably wobbly, but he didn't go down. He kind of, he could have caught it a knockdown, but he was, you know, he kind of stayed upright. Um, and then Davis finished that round very, very strong with the, the crowd on his feet. But then in the ninth, ninth round, uh, Garcia, his corner, this decided to stop it. He said he, his vision was affected by what Davis was doing. Now I know, you know, we just talked about 
fighters, safety, and all that. And and we don't want anyone to, to be hurt. But, but looking at this fight, it was almost like he didn't really get a chance to really even be that hurt. I don't know exactly what Garcia was going through or, or what was happening per se, per se. I've seen fighters in worse predicament than him. Uh, so he, he basically just, you know, pretty much quit on his stool. Uh, he felt Davis' power was, and just caught it at night. So Javante Davis, you know, he improves to 28-0 with 26 knockouts. Um, I, I can't say it was like this great performance. It was a more tactical performance from Javante Davis. Uh, but we've seen this before. It's not like it's anything that we haven't seen from Davis or anything that we learn outside of what we already know, uh, given, you know, the opponent. So I would have more liked to see, like to have seen Davis kind of wipe Garcia out of there to make a statement, but didn't really do that. But still, you know, uh, Davis kept his old, you know, now he heads into a fight with uh, Ryan Garcia. Yeah, in terms of the stoppage, from what I heard in a post-fight interview, Garcia was saying he didn't know where he was after he got hit. Like, I guess he got hit that hard. And I think, if I recall correctly, the ref had to point him to the right corner. And so it was like a literal vision issue for him. You know, like it didn't look that bad. It looked like just a hard shot. But yeah, I guess in his defense, just taking him at his word, if I'm a fighter going into a, a prize fight the ninth round and I can't see, like a minute ain't enough. You know what I mean? I don't know what else there is to do. And I think by the time uh, Jim Gray actually interviewed him, he was able to see again. You know, obviously by that time the fight had stopped already. And so I, I guess maybe it would have been more honorable for him to go back in the next round literally blind and inevitably get knocked out. But you know, I it, it wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing stoppage. You know, he, he's probably get some flack for that, but I understood where he was coming from, you know what I mean? But as for the fight itself, I had the copy box numbers here, so I'm just gonna run through those real quick. Uh Tank, he landed 99 punches out of 239. Garcia landed 55 out of 345. I like that Garcia was as busy as he was. And although Tank was up on the cards, Garcia, he was doing a good job of working behind that jab, I thought. I also thought he was landing some good counters throughout the fight. I like that even though he was the technically, like he was taller, but you know, he was smaller in the sense that he typically fights at 130 versus 135, but I like that he still stood in the pocket. He remained committed to going through the body. Um, He was throwing this kind of lead body hook that I really like. It almost got him in trouble because I think one time he landed low and the ref warned him, but I like that he was throwing that because um, I think it, it did make it a little bit more difficult for Tank. On top of him being a southpaw, and, you know, Tank did admit he's not used to fighting a lot of southpaws, Tank, he started to unload in those middle rounds, started to do a little bit more, but his Garcia, his face seemed a little bit bothered, but his body language didn't seem super bothered until he got on with that huge shot that you were talking about. And after the fight, Tank said, you know, I wasn't throwing a whole lot of shots in the beginning because I was trying to beat him mentally. I was trying to trick him with my hands and my eyes because he's a tough fighter and I had to bait him. Now, going into the fight with Ryan... I don't know if he's going to be able to afford to try things like that and to be that in, in, inactive in those early rounds against Garcia because I could very well see Ryan seeing that and saying, okay, well, we're going to be more active in those early rounds and, and take those. 
if that's how Tank's going to be. Um, I also don't think he can afford to take as many shots as he did in this fight. Um, but at the same time, you know, he like you said, we've seen this before. He always takes a lot of shots, and that's always concerned me, but it is what it is at this point. But all in all, I think Garcia made a good showing of himself. I hope that, you know, there's no injury that will keep him out for a long period of time because he does, I think he does have a pretty solid future at 130. And so, um, but Tank did what he was supposed to do and hopefully we do get that fight we really want to see. Uh, do you have anything else on this one? No, I don't have anything else. So also on that, this uh, on the undercard, which they called it a, a co-main event, we had Jerron Boots Ennis uh, taking on Karen uh, Kukujan. Uh, did you check out that fight, Danny? What were your thoughts on it? Man, I saw as much as I could. That was a late fight. You know what I mean? We talked about that a little bit. Uh, before we started but i think this fight was on at like 11 30 midnight around that time and so i i saw as much as i could to answer your question and i won't spend a whole lot of time on it because the scorecards were so wide um you know and it's pretty much winning 120 to 108 win every round but i will give credit to chuka john um you know he was a tough durable fighter who he's able to move around and I like that. I think this was a good fight for Ennis. Like, you know, obviously you're in that big stage. People are starting to like casual fans are starting to learn about you, um, you know. And so like it would have been nice for it to be a showcase fight for him in the sense of a stoppage. But in another sense, it was a showcase fight for him because it was a difficult fight. And I think that he's going to learn from this because Chuka John, he he was able to move around and made it difficult for him to land what he really wanted. Uh, so Ennis couldn't really sit down um, the way he wanted to, or he was just missing out. Right. I don't know if you remember the guy, uh, Isaac Chalimba. He fought at, uh, I don't know if he's still active, but he yeah, fought like heavyweight. <laughs> yeah. Sugar uh, John reminded me of him in the sense that like, you know, obviously we haven't seen him a lot on in the, this country because this is his first fight in the U S but you like, Chalimba, you know that he's going to give whoever he's with a tough fight. And even though that fighter is probably going to beat him pretty soundly, he's not going to knock him out. That's what I got from, from Chukajan. Um, So he was a tough fight. I think he was a good step up. And, you know, people want to criticize this matchup, but he was ranked number four in the IBF, you know, and so it is what it is with that. Uh, the copy box for this one, uh, boots he landed 203 out of 592 88 body shots out of that and chuka john landed 97 out of 573 and so i'm not gonna go round by round with it but um it was a difficult fight for boots and i think that overall he did a good job obviously we wanted to stop it but overall he did a good job and you know we'll talk a little bit about where he goes from here but i'll let you cook first yeah, yeah. First and foremost, yeah, about the time, man. I don't know if it's a conspiracy or something, man. They be having these fights coming on like uh, 11, you know, the main event doesn't start start till like 1.30, 1 o'clock. And it was interesting because this is one of those cars I was like, you know what? I might get in the bed early tonight, you know what I'm saying? Because some of these fights seem like, you know, mixed matches where the, these fights might end early. And, and this fight was one of them. So I don't know if it's some type of like, you know, conspiracy from the promoters, man, to get more 
advertisement money or something by keeping us glued to the set or something. I don't know what it is. Because yeah. I knew I was going to go to sleep early. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, yeah, okay. But going to this fight, you know, um, yeah, Boots did have a little trouble. I don't think it was like a lot of trouble, but I think it was trouble in terms of uh, he thought he was just going to run, run through uh, Chuka John and that didn't happen. It was all this hype about him studying Mike Tyson and all that. And I, and I was like, hmm, that's interesting that they bring it up ahead of this fight, you know? So Boots fights at a certain rhythm where it's, it's, a, it's a weird rhythm. And it's almost like, you, you know, he's always dangerous. He's always the bigger man in the ring and he can always throw that shot and just get get guys out of there. And, and seeing Kuka John kind of use his legs and move around the ring and, and at times kind of, sometimes he was, he was outright kind of running from it. It's like, especially... Uh, during mid mid rounds of the fight, uh, but I was I was glad to see Ennis get some rounds in because th- there was always a question of what we it looked like to see him go twelve rounds. Would he have like the gas tank for that? And now and now we know it was it was good to see see him that he can still be a danger. You know, late in the fight, he doesn't like gas like uh, a fighter that that was on the, the the undercard. You know, last night also. But also, I, I did see some things that that Ennis did that I was like, hmm, I don't know if I like that. Like he was throwing these, this, he was trying to land that right hand and trying so hard, and he was missing like he would miss him like over and over again. Um, and it took him a minute before he started trying other things. But it was it was very telling because you know uh, a, another fighter who could probably move and and you know stick at the same time probably would have caught him with a counter while he was doing that. So. There might be something to look forward to, look look to in the future, you know, in his future fights. Um, but I did think it was a, a well-rounded performance. And as he kind of he, he saw that that he wasn't going to get uh, Chuka John out of there, and he started like kind of upping the pace, kind of second half of the fight where he really showed his class. So I was, it was glad to see him not really gas or anything, or, or make this fight harder than it had to be. So. Uh, Boots, you know, uh, he proves the 29 no, uh, one not one no contest, uh, with 27 knockouts. And Chuka John, he falls to 21 and one with 11 knockouts. It's interesting because you know, Chuka John is, is, is gonna be an interesting opponent for people going to the future, going into the future. Also, it's gonna be interesting seeing, let's say, if someone like a, a Virgil Ortiz fights a, a Chuka John or a Stanionis or who we'll talk about later on or any other of the upcoming welterweights or current welterweights uh, gets in the ring with them. You have anything else, Danny? No other than, yeah. Where do you think he goes? You know, you said it will be interesting. Um, What do you think like in the interim, like, you know, he's the interim IBF champ. Spence is the, the IBF champ, but what do you think he should do in the interim? What he should do and what's probably going to happen is, kind of hard we know what he wants to do he wants the big dog he wants uh errol spence he wants terrence crawford i could see a case for either of those fights happening uh because for example we know that spence is taking the fight in in april may june time frame he never said that that's that's gonna be bud crawford it could be or it could be someone before he, he takes on a bud crawford and then again if it is someone else, then, but Crawford might need to fight, might need to, you know, another opponent. You never know what, how these things may play out. Uh, so I can see a case where he does fight either Spence or Crawford, 
even though it probably most likely is not going to happen, but it's just wishful thinking. Um, well, I think it's going to happen. I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to say because it's hard to see who's really, really out there. Uh, I, I really think the most logical answer to that, that, to that question is he's probably going to fight the winner of another fighter on the, the undercard, which was the, the uh, Ellis Villa matchup, who we, we will talk about shortly. He's, I could see him fighting the winner of that fight. Yeah, he's in a weird spot in his career, and I say that because it's like, unless you're the top dog at your division or you're calling your own shots or whatever that nature, you gotta got three options. It's like, do you want the big fights or do you want a championship? And sometimes the championship will get you the big fight, sometimes it won't. But if you want the championship, then you kind of have to do your best to appease that sanctioning body that's ranking you. You know what I mean? So in that sense, you know, now he's the, IB, the interim IBF champ. And he will probably become Spence's mandatory at some point soon, like at some point this year. But, you know, the number two IBF spot is vacant. Virgil, he's number three, but he has WBA aspirations because he's trying to, him and Stanionis, they're eventually going to fight for that uh, mandatory WBA. And he just beat number four, at IBF and so you know I I think I kind of agree with you here's the tricky part though we don't know if Ellis and Villa are going to rematch now if they rematch then I'm not sure what to tell them but if they don't rematch I would try to face Roymond Villa and wait for that mandatory to be announced but I think what I ultimately see happening is He's probably getting some step-aside money in the near future because Spence is just going to have other plans, you know. If Spence wants you, he's going to say he wants you. He's going to mention your name. But I don't really see him mentioning boots like that unless he's asked. And he'll say something like, yeah, he's a good fighter, you know, or something like that. And so I don't think – I think in terms like IBF, Spence is probably going to fight who he wants to fight for the next two fights and probably move up. And I think – eventually that IBF title will become vacant. And I think that as long as Boots kind of continue to do what the IBF asks him, he should be in prime position to fight for that vacant title. And then he has a chance to become the top dog and at some point call his own shots. But other than that, like I would just look at some other guys who are ranked in the IBF to keep that good standing. The problem with that is that, you know, the fans, the average fan isn't going to Google you know, IBF welterweight rankings. And so he's going to fight guys. Like, people were giving him crap for fighting uh, Chuka John. But Chuka John was, you know, top five in, in the IBF. And so um, the fans are probably not going to enjoy who he fights in the meantime. But I think that's the best thing for his career at this point, to put himself in line in the long term to become a champion and ultimately get those big fights. Do you have anything else you want to speak on with that? No, sir. Cool. Well, we, we've already talked about it before, but before the fight before that, uh, Speedy Rashidi Ellis came back and he fought Roman Villa. Uh, Speedy was ranked eighth in the IBF and Villa was ranked ninth. That's probably going to flip at this point, obviously. Um, but I did not see much of this fight. But what did you think? Yeah, Speedy Ellis, you know, even before this this fight, leading up to this fight, he was uh, calling out, uh, I believe, uh, Boots Ennis. I think they even had a, 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 an exchange, you know, saying, you know, a weird exchange. 
because both were training for a different fight. <clears throat> so, but the difference is, um, Boots kept his eyes on the prize. I'm not sure Ellis did, you know, in this fight. Uh, but I, 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 he did fight a, a, a very decent fight, you know, especially in the first, you know, uh, half of the fight. Uh, the first round, I think he threw like maybe a hundred jabs. I, I've never seen somebody throw so many jabs, especially even on that level. I thought it was very impressive. That's a discipline that he should stick to. Um, it was interesting that Villa wasn't throwing many, many jabs. It looked like Alex was just going to cruise his way to a victory. Uh, he, he fought a lot on the back foot. You know, he was he was doing a lot of these different things. I, I thought it was very impressive. Uh, just that the second half of the fight, he started to kind of slow down a little bit, and Villa started to gain his confidence and kind of blow Ellis down a little bit. Uh, with, with the style that he fights, he was just coming forward, you know, wasn't doing too much with a high guard, but he would he would throw these punches, and I guess they were affecting Ellis because I think around the seventh, eighth round, that's when Villa really started to to heat up. So going into, into the last round, I, I think Ellis was winning this fight. It's just that he was badly hurt. Yeah, you know, he went down with a I think it was a I think it was a left hook that put him down by Villa. Uh, he was badly hurt, and then he went down again. The last, I think, second of the of the last round. I think even though uh, that second was there, I, I thought it was a good call by the referee to count that knockdown because that wasn't that wouldn't be fair to Rob Villa when he kind of earned to, you know, get that knockdown over uh, Ellis. So Roman Villa, he won his fight. I mean, it was by majority decision. I think the cards were on two cards. It was. Uh, 114 and 112, and on the, the, the third card, I think it was 113 and 113, I believe. Uh, they had it a draw. Uh, I kind of had this fight a draw. Um, I could see a case for Ellis winning it, and I, I kind of see a case for Villa winning it because he kind of earned it, but I saw this fight more so a draw, and I think a rematch would serve it well, too. Yeah, one thing that stood out to me, even outside of this fight, was uh, Speedy's inactivity over the past few years. You know, he had a good 2020, you know, when he beat Alexis Rocha for that uh, WBC International welterweight champion. But, you know, other than that, he did come back and he fought in July of last year, but he knocked the guy out in the first round. And so since October of 2020, he's only fought one round. You know what I mean? I think some of that inactivity caught up with him late in the fight uh, because from what I did see, like you said, he did look good in the beginning and then it seemed like he gassed out. And it seemed like, based on what I heard from Villa, he was banking on that and he took full advantage of that. That 12th round is really what cost him, you know? But I would have liked to see, to have seen a draw and, if, you know, that way it wouldn't go against any of their records and then they could definitely rematch but you know it's boxing you know you can't really leave it up to the judges especially when you get knocked down because judges favor knockdowns you we saw that in like when fury fought wilder that first fight when fury pretty much outboxed him for at least 10 rounds and they got a draw because of the knockdown but um all in all i thought it was a, a good fight kind of a good war of attrition i don't know if they're going to rematch from here or what's going to happen but I kind of feel bad for Speedy, but at the same time, he was given the opportunity. And I, I think that to an extent, his his gas tank failed him. But it is what it is. So 
on that note, though, with the scorecards, do you think that he was robbed or do you think that it was just uh, a valid upset? I think it was a valid upset. I don't I don't necessarily think he was robbed. I, if someone had had someone says that he won, I don't have a problem with people saying he won or if the cards would have went in his favor. I think at the end of the day, he has to look at himself like why and ask himself, why did he go down twice in the, in the, in the last round? Why did he allowed Villa to really come on so strong in the last four to five rounds. I think that really was it. What even the two knockdowns, it's the fact that Villa was coming on strong. And I guess Ellis was thinking like, hey, I already won about eight rounds. I'm good, you know. And not thinking that I, you can get caught in that last round. Like he, didn't, he probably didn't think he would get caught like that in the last round. And, and when you're looking at your scoring, you know, fights, it's a numbers game when it comes to these rounds. So if, if let's say – you know, you won seven rounds and some your opponent won five rounds, but they knocked you down two times, you lose, you know. So uh, you got you to always put that in perspective when you're trying, you're giving up rounds like that, especially late in the fight. So I don't have a problem uh, with people who say that Ellis won. I just don't think that he was robbed. Yeah, I think all in all, I'm with you. What I saw from the 12th, I was like yelling at the TV like, Get out of there, Speedy. Get out of there, Speedy. Because he kept finding himself like it was clear that he was hurt and he was gassed. But he kept finding himself against the ropes, allowing Villa to tee off on him. And that was not doing him any favors, especially after that first knockdown. And that's really what cost him the second because he just kept getting himself in a position where, you know, he just had to defend himself even more so against the ropes and in the corner and stuff like that. And so... um, like you said, I think that it just forced him to look at himself. And I, I hope, you know, he's still fairly young um, and, you know, clearly unproven. But I hope that from this win, he goes back to the drawing board and he's able to bounce back because he still has a lot of time left. And, you know, although we put so much emphasis on having that O in today's boxing, like it's not the end of the world to to have a loss. And so I think he could very well bounce back. Yeah, most definitely. I, I, yeah, you're right. I think we put too way too much emphasis on the O to a, a point where it robs the fighter because the fighters don't want to, you know, take chances they need to take to become better. So yeah. yeah also on this card, uh, we had a, a debut at the the super middleweight division. We had Demetrius Boo Boo Andrade. He took on the uh, Demond Nicholson. Uh, what were your thoughts on this fight, uh, Danny? Man, I thought it was a boo-boo fight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like typical boo-boo fight. Yeah, I mean, he looked good, right? You know, I liked that in early he invested to the body. He was landing some solid uppercuts. I like that he did a good job of distance control. Really did a great job of distance control. And so, like the first four or five rounds, and then in that five in that fifth round, there was a slip that arguably should have been a nutdown with him. But yeah, that first five rounds overall, I I was just like, you know, when Boo Boo was in the ring, I love watching him fight. You know, I'm I have the southpaw bias anyway because I'm a southpaw myself. But when he looks that way, he does really look good because he he lands exactly where he's supposed to land. He takes advantage of whatever you give him, and he he almost you know that that phrase swimming without getting wet. He does a good job of of keeping that distance and, and stuff like that. But, you know, towards the middle rounds, you know, he started getting caught a little bit more than I thought he should have been. 
Um, and he wasn't as active as he should have been. You know, I think that what would have been good for him would have been to, even if you don't stop him, to turn it up at, uh, in terms of your activity. But he kind of kept that early round pace and it's like, all right, well, how how often are you going to do this? You know, is this just how you're going to finish it out? Um, I, I will give him a pass because, you know, he had shoulder surgery. He had a 13-month layoff. He had all those issues with, uh, you know, the WBO and Jenna Beck and not fighting him and not fighting Zach Parker and all that stuff. I thought he looked fine overall, you know, um, but he didn't put on the kind of performance that is going to make people really want to see him against those top dogs that he's calling out. Uh, he did say the plan was to get those 10 rounds in, so I'll give him that too. It seemed like it was part of his plan, but the eye test tells me that I guess that's part of your plan every fight because it looked like that's the plan every fight. And although he was accurate, um, he wasn't active enough. But I know he had to lay off, but this, this is just who he's been. And so, so I will say this. He is on the right side of the street now, so to speak. You know, he's with PBC. And if you're going to fight those top guys, you are in the right place to do it. I just don't know if he put himself in a position to do that outside of, you know, signing the papers. What did you think, though? Yeah, like you, I thought it was a typical, you know, boo-boo, uh, Andre performance. Um, he doesn't do himself any favors. I mean, if you're a boxing fan, you probably enjoy it, and you're like like me, you're kind of looking at him like, man, okay, he's a he's a pretty good talent. But other than that, he, he kind of – it seems like sometimes – and you alluded to that a little bit when you start getting caught kind of in the middle of mid-round. Sometimes he gets a little bored in the ring. Like, he needs something to really challenge himself. Otherwise, he's never going to change that that pace. He's going to stay at that pace because he can do it all night. And he's like, I'm outboxing you. You know what I'm saying? He's kind of like that guy that's in the gym that can pretty much outbox you whenever, you know? But in a, in a fight, we know there's, you know, certain fighters that may pose certain challenges to have different strengths and, and things of that nature. Like, when, especially when, if you have someone that has crazy power or something like that, that's different than the sparring with some, you know, the sparring with headgear on. So it'll be interesting when that time comes. But yeah, typical, you know, boo boo performance. He's always impressive. It's just like, it's just the, the people that he's impressive against. You're just like, man, I mean, when he's going to get that fight that he needs. And he is on the right side of the street now. So, Hopefully those those uh future fights happen with him. And I do like the way he he uh you know he exchanged on his own terms. Uh sometimes he, he baits you in, waits for you to come in, he does his exchange, he gets out of there. I, I do like that. That's, I don't know. I don't know. I can't I can't speak on who does that today to compare that to, to compare him to, but I think it's an interesting skill to have. But we haven't seen that against uh top competition. I think that's what's gonna be key. But good performance from him. So look, looking at Andre, you know, you know Andre, what do you think happens from here? You know, now that he's made his mark on at, at 168, and you've got all these different names that's out there, and and promotion wise, he's on the white right side right side of the street. Who do you think he fights next, Danny? You know, it's interesting because he's about to turn 35 next month, and time is not really on his side, especially in this division. You know, he's like. Age-wise, he's in between, you got Benavidez, who's like 25, 26, and then you got like Darrell, who's like, what, 38 or something like that? And so he's about to turn 35. He is ranked second in the WBA behind Caleb Plant, 
Um, but I think the most important thing for him is to get active and get in front of the fans' eyes some more and make the people want to see him against these guys, you know? So um, I don't know what the timeline is going to be like for, you know, future PBC fights, but if I were him, I go to Al Heyman like tomorrow and see about getting back in the ring by June at the latest. Like in a perfect world, I would try to fight, assuming that things go through with Tank and Garcia. Like I might try to fight on that undercard because you know at least folks are gonna be watching. I, I bought him up earlier. I don't know what Anthony Durrell's plans are, but I think that his next step should be to try to get in there with someone of Durrell's caliber. As soon as he can, really. Like, I think it would be ideal for him to somehow fight three times this year. I don't think it's going to happen because that's just not what PBC does. But I think it would be a good idea to get back in there as soon as possible and then possibly try to get one of those big fights at the end of the year. Because the reality of it is, Canelo's probably not going to fight any of those guys. And those guys, even though he might not have looked the best, after however that plays out, they're going to need somebody else to fight anyway. And so I think his best bet is, yeah, just to get in front of eyes and look good, you know, kind of in the spring, early summer, and then set himself up. What about you? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure because it's like if, if he fights three times this year, that next fight is probably going to be against somebody of the same caliber of DeMond Nicholson, which is cool if the bigger picture is going to happen this year. What I see happening, though, even if he does take another fight between in, that's, you know, another person of a Nicholson's caliber. I think that third fight will probably happen against the loser of the uh, Caleb Plant and uh, David Benavidez. Whoever loses that fight, I can see them putting that in there with Andre. Because you also have to remember that even though he's PBC now, he's still they're still going to have the new guy, the outsider a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's not the guy that they picked up in the beginning or thought was going to be a star in the beginning. And he did pull out that Charlo fight. You know, people remember stuff. They don't, you know, they got memory, especially promoters. So I'm not sure that could affect him in the future in, in terms of, I'm not going to say they're going to, you know, have a, a, a agenda against him or anything, but they're not going to show him any, I wouldn't expect PBC to show him any favors. They're going mean, to, if you're looking at who's going to get the top fights, the fights that they want, it's probably going to be someone like the Charlos, the Benavidez, the people who been rocking with PBC this whole entire time. But it's not to say that he can't get those fights. His his pathway will look different. So I do think that eventually he'll fight the loser of the plant and Benavidez fight. Anything else you, you got to share on this topic? Uh, last thing I'll say, I think that would probably be the best case scenario for him, to be honest with you, you know, because he he would be accomplishing his goal in terms of him fighting possibly another Nicholson in the meantime. I don't think that's the worst idea, but it would be really important for him to again, like to the fans eyes, he's going to have to like get that person out of there and, and then make people want to see him against the winner or the loser of that fight. So if he fights like a you know someone else of that caliber, gets like a fifth, sixth round stoppage or something like that, then you can look at this fight and be like, okay, that was just a long layoff. Th- this is who he, you know what I mean? And so um, it won't be the worst idea, but I hope he just whatever he does, I hope he's just active now. And I don't know the terms of whatever he signed with PBC, but 
You know, I think that, you know, when you're a 35, 35 year old super middleweight, you have to milk this as much as you can. Now, the last thing we're going to talk about, you know, this is this was the first card of the new year. First episode of the new year. Which fighter do you think overall, regardless of sanctioning body, regardless of promoter, which fighter do you think is going to have the best year this year? Ooh, I got to think about that because that that just means this year is not going to be like the year is coming. So I think who possibly is going to have a good year. Hmm. I don't know, man. Who do you think will have a good year? <laughs> yeah, it's hard guess- to call, but I think that if I, I think the fighters in the position to have the best years, I would say Haney because he's in the third fight of the three fight deal. Mm-hmm. And He's going to fight somebody that I think he's going to beat. Yeah, and yep. that person has a name. Yep, Lomachenko. Yep. yep. And then as as someone who remains undisputed, he's in the driver's seat of his career. And so he can either pick his opponent, or pick his promoter, he move it to 140, whatever he wants to do. And so far, he has made the right moves when given the position to do so. Like, I give it, you know, he has good business sense on I top agree. of being a good fighter. I agree. Um, He's in position. I agree. Yeah. I, th- I think whoever he fights next, <laughs> that's going to determine that because it's some, it's some people in around that division that I think could beat him. So yeah, no, no, yeah, no. You you're not wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think Spence is in a position to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, Tank honestly is in a position to do that. Although Hector Garcia is not a natural lightweight. People are going to take that performance and because he's tanked, they're going to look at that in a higher regard than if another fighter would have done that. You know what I mean? And especially if he beats Garcia, you know, the other Garcia, Ryan, Mm -hmm. and he said he wants to fight three times this year as well. And so I think those two are in the best position right now. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to say because he got so many, you know, hitters. And a lot of it's based on off, off if certain fights actually happen. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 I can see Benavidez having a good year if he gets by a kid of Plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see them going from Plant to uh, Charlo. Devin Haney is one. I, I, I can see having a good year if he plays his cards right. Of course, he ta- he beats Lomachenko, and then let's say he takes a fight with uh, an Isaac Cruz, or even I, I'll say even I'll go high and say even the Tank. Uh, let's say he beats Tank and outboxes him. That's a great year, you know mm-hmm, what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. that's somebody of significance. I could see Progray having a great year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I, I forgot about him off top, but yeah, 100%. Yeah, because he got some people after him. You know, you got Lopez talking stuff to him. You got Broner. Broner, in terms of status, might not mean a lot, but in terms of significance, a name value, if Progray beats Agent Broner, I mean, the casual is going to know who Progray is. And then if he, he goes on and beats uh, Tiffany Lopez, he's back to Canada to being a, the force at, you know, I'm pretty much the man at, at 140, depending on what Josh Taylor does. So I can see Progray having a, a good year too. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, do you have anything else in general before we close out? No, I, th- I think that uh, pretty much wraps it up for uh, t- this this week. Yeah, I think this turned out pretty well. Um, only thing I have, you know, check us out on our pages. On Twitter is last one's at the bar. 
with one T on Instagram is last was at the bar with two T's. YouTube is at last was at the bar 5437. We're working on getting those numbers off, but it's still on there. So check us out on there in the interim and we'll let you know when the number's gone. But that's all we got. Appreciate you all listening. We out. Peace. Peace.